uh, Jesus, today we are so grateful and so thankful that we can come in and sing songs like we just sang that says, like, you won't fail. And Father, I know that for a lot of us, even, even though there's rain and weather outside, when the rains come and the winds blow, right, our, our, our lives, when they're built on you, right, we, we can make it. And so, Father, today as we begin to open up this book, this letter that was written to believers just like us, about what it's like and what we need and how to build our lives on this firm foundation that is your truth, your word, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your redemption. Father, I pray today that it would just come alive for us, uh, that we walk out of this place today, not having sat and listened to somebody talk or sung a few songs, but we, we leave this place today going, you know what, I spent time with Jesus. Because the great thing about that is when we spend time with you, we can't stay the same. Something changes within us. So Spirit, we just invite you into this place, into our lives, open up the word for us in all new ways. Uh, Jesus, we love you. Everybody said, everybody, we pray it's all in your name. Everybody said, I swear I took my medicine today, I promise. Um, only had only had two cups of coffee. Uh, so here's how James starts out. And I'm just going to be, just for, I'm just going to forewarn you this morning. Um, we're starting the, we're starting the book of James. Today, we're going to get through one verse, right? There's just a little bit of setup. So here's how James starts. So oh, go ahead and open your Bibles. If you have your Bibles or your Bible, if you need one, we've got them in the back. There are free Bibles available in the back. Open your Bibles to the book of James. It's going to be in the back of the Bible, kind of towards the end of the New Testament. Um, and so here's what it says. I'll give you a second to flip there. Kind of, I, love, I love hearing like, like Bibles opening and pages turning. That's really cool. So here's what it says. James chapter 1, verse 1. Here's how he starts. He introduces himself. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pause. Like we didn't even get through one verse, Brad. Like we got through half of one. I know. But here's the thing. Like if you're if you're like me, most of like the books that we read or the people that we listen to, right? The, the people that we follow. Like there there are people that we follow. Like I like the way this person talks, I like the way this person thinks, this person I, I love the way they see the world. Like those kinds of things, right? The, the people that we seek out, the people that you and I give our time to, that we allow their words or their thoughts or their ideas to influence us. There's usually a reason. Like we I I don't know about you, but for me it's like if I'm if I'm going to spend my time like reading a book, Somebody told me the other day, Brad, like, you should write a book. And I'm like, well, I have to, like, finish reading one first uh, that doesn't have pictures. Um, but, but the thing is, it's like, like for, for us to spend time reading a book, right, or, or listening to a podcast or, or, or watching you know, a TED Talk or whatever it is, like, for us to do that, there's got to be a reason for it. Like, we don't just give our time or, or let, let everyone kind of influence us with their ideas. Like, we have to kind of trust the source, I mean, for me, I've got to trust the source. There, there's got to be some part of me that kind of connects with the author that's writing the book. I kind of need to know the, one of the first places I go when, when I hear about a book that I'm supposed to read or something that, that, that's pretty popular. It's like, I'm going to go read. Before I read the book, I'm going to dig into who wrote it. Like, I want to know who they are and what they do and what their story is, what's their background, those kinds of I want to know that I can trust the source. Right? I need to know, like... If there's some part of the way that they think that maybe it's on a similar wavelength to mine, or, or maybe they can relate to my story, I can relate to their story, I can see through, or they see through, like a similar lens through which kind of like I see and process the world around me, right? The, the, the advice that they're giving comes from some part of like their experience that might be like mine. And so for me, most of the books or podcasts or TED Talks, whatever it is that like, I seek out or I take in or I take the time to listen to, th there's usually some kind of about the author at the beginning. 
Like usually there's some kind of about the author, some page or a couple of pages that tells you a little bit about who they are, what they've accomplished. Like there's an announcement, right, or, or some sort of explanation that, that gives you the credentials and kind of the credibility of whoever it is you're giving your attention to. And so this is kind of what James, at the very beginning of his letter, in the first half of the first verse, that's what he does. In really one sentence, James kind of gives us this about the author page. He says, I'm James. Hello. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And like our 2022 brains kind of want to go, and? Like what else? I mean, is that it? Like James, if you really want us to listen to you, if you really want us to lean into what you're saying, like, James, you're going to need to give us a little bit more than just a half a sentence. But here's the deal. At the time that James was writing this letter, he could have, James could have name dropped like crazy. And we're going to get into why he doesn't. But here's, like, if James is going to give us an about the author page or kind of give us his own name tag with some of his credentials, here's what James could have said at the point in time that he's writing this letter. He could have said, hey, my name is James. Um, by the way, I'm the half-brother of Jesus. Like, I, Jesus and I grew up together, right? I'm the half-brother of Jesus. I, I was present at Pentecost, this moment in Acts where, where the Holy Spirit kind of moves into people like us. And this, this whole movement of discipleship and disciple-making kind of starts in this crazy moment where thousands of people give their lives to Jesus. He's like, I was there. Like, I was there. I was present. I participated in it. I saw it. And James, in this moment, he can say, as I write this letter to you, I need to tell you, like, here's my position, here's my role. I'm the lead pastor, I'm the lead caretaker of the first Christian church in Jerusalem. And so some of us may go, like, which first Christian church? And James is like, the first Christian church, right? The, the very first one ever. Like, I'm the lead pastor, I'm the, the lead shepherd, I'm the caretaker of this church. Now, here's the thing. When I look at this, that's the kind of list that I can get behind, Right? Like for me, in my, in my mind, like that's the kind of list that I'm like, yeah, man, now I want to listen to you. Like I want to listen to that. Like this, this person's got some credibility. Like th this is the kind of person, like if you and I were going to lead or like teach or share our thoughts on something, a list like this would be kind of like a mini resume. So like on, on one hand, like a list like that kind of justifies why we should listen to this person or why you should pay attention to James. But, but also, on the other hand, it kind of compels us. Like, so, like, James, you got some accomplishments, man. I, I want to listen to you. But also, like, I'm, I'm compelled to, to show up and listen to what you have to say. But that's not how James identifies himself. He doesn't give us the, the resume. He doesn't give us this thing that kind of justifies his reasoning for having an audience. Like, let me just tell you why I belong on a stage in front of you. Like, he doesn't do that. He doesn't give us this compelling reason to listen to him. He doesn't rattle off all this stuff. Instead, what he says is, I'm a servant of God and also of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want you to do. It's okay to do this. If you got your Bible in front of you, if you have your Bible open, if you have your Bible app open, you can also do this. I want you to circle or underline or highlight the word servant. You're allowed to do this, right? You're allowed to take notes in the margin. It's fine, right? Circle, underline, highlight the word servant because this word matters. And here's what this word means. The word servant that we read in this moment when James describes himself is the Greek word doulos, right? And that word literally means bond servant or bond slave. That's different. When James identifies himself as a servant, it's different than kind of a typical 
servant. It's different than like a waiter or someone who serves or someone who takes care. What, what James identifies himself as when he introduces himself is this. It's a bond slave or a bond servant, the Greek word doulos. Now, here's the thing. I want to clear up a couple of things. When we hear about, because a lot of times when you read scripture, you hear about slavery or you hear about slaves. What comes to our mind, right, when we hear about slavery is kind of a, it's a, it's a terrible section of history in our country where people were taken forcibly like from their homelands and they were brought and bought and sold and traded and treated like property instead of people, right? That's what we think of. When we think of slavery, we think of that, right? We think of the Emancipation Proclamation. We think of, of the Civil War. We think of North and South, that kind of a thing, right? Terrible section in our country's history. That's not the kind of slavery that, that, that James is referring to here. And you just need us to, to kind of understand that. When James introduces himself as a bond slave or a bond servant of Jesus, he's not referring to that kind of slavery. Here's what a bond slave or a bond servant was, right? This word doulos, it was someone who willingly gave themselves to serve another, not by force, but by choice. So again, if you're taking notes in your Bible or you just want to grab a picture of this, it's another great way to take notes. You can do that. That's what it means. The word doulos, when James says, I'm a servant, here's what he's saying. I am someone who willingly gives of myself to serve God and Jesus. Not by force. Nobody forced me to do this, but by choice. So, but here's the thing. You also have to understand, culturally, in this day, a doulos, a bond slave or a bond servant, was the lowest ranked servant on kind of like the scale or spectrum of servanthood. So again, there's this moment, right, famous moment in the Gospels, those stories that kind of tell Jesus' biography. Like there's this famous moment, right, when, when Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. And we've said this before, we've taught on this before, that when Jesus steps into that role of washing the feet of his disciples, we said that role, the foot washer, was reserved. That role was reserved for the lowest ranked person, the lowest ranked servant in the house, because that was a role that nobody wanted. That role of washing feet, like most servants, were above that. To be the servant that has to wash somebody's feet meant you were the lowest ranked servant in the house. The doulos. Who didn't serve by force, but by choice. Didn't go unwillingly, but willingly decided to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take the lowest position on the ladder, Period. So when Jesus, he chose to take, when Jesus took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and started washing the feet of his disciples, that's what he did. That's, that's the role that Jesus took on, the same role that James is talking about here. I'm a doulos. I am a willing servant. And, J and Jesus, he looks at us. He says, listen, let, let my choice, let my choice to become a doulos, to stoop to this level, be an example for you. Jesus looks at us and says, listen, you've got to be willing to do this also. He says, as I've done for you, you do for one another. Choose willingly, not by force, but by choice, to serve, even if it means taking on the lowest ranked role in the whole house. And so bond slaves back in this day, they existed to kind of live into, there were kind of three things that kind of that were, were on their priority list. This was like their, their, their core values, right? We talked about our values back in August, right? The, the values and priorities of a doulos, there were three things, obedience, loyalty, and humility. So this is kind of how we break this down, right? So this is what they lived for and what they did and what they sought to, to, to live out. This is how they, they, they sought to live their lives. 
that, that they willingly chose, a doulos, a servant, willingly chose to belong to and live under the authority of someone other than themselves. Can you imagine that? Like, that is so far outside the realm of the culture and the way that we live right now. Like, could you imagine willingly choosing to belong and live under the authority of somebody other than you? And just stay in there. It's like, you're not going to step into a role at your job and go, yeah, I took this job, but here's the thing. They promised me that I could, get up, that I could work my way up the ladder pretty fast. Like, a do loss is, now I'm going to step into this role, and I may never be promoted ever. And I'm okay with that. That causes a little bit of anxiety. If that's causing anxiety and you go back and listen to the series we just talked about, right? Uh, loyalty, right? That's, that's the thing, that, uh, the other kind of core value. Lo- that, that here's the thing, it brings me joy and I get excited. I get excited and I, I get joy from pleasing and honoring the one that I give my life to. That's where joy comes from, right? That's where excitement comes from. And then the last one is humility. I make much, much more of the one I'm serving than myself. There's a great quote about humility. It says this, that true humility, true humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's actually not thinking of yourself at all. That's kind of the definition of true humility. It's not just thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. And again, that's kind of that when James introduces himself, this is how he introduces himself. This is who I am. I'm a doulos, I'm a bond servant, I'm a bond slave. To who? God and Jesus. So my life is, is I, the way I seek to live out my life is in obedience and loyalty and humility. And we hear that. We hear somebody like James introduce themselves like this, and, and it's easy to think, well, you know, Brad, we always say here at Adventure that Bible people are just people people like us. But when we read about James, and we read about what he dedicated his life to, For me, at least this week, as I was studying this, even in the first verse, that's why I had to stop. I had to stop in the first half of the first verse and go, man, I don't know that I can ever get on a level like this. I don't know that I could ever get to a place where where my faith looks like that. Like that's, that, that seems impossible. And, and so there may be a part of us, at least there was a part of me this week that went, well, you know, James is the half-brother of Jesus. No wonder, right? No wonder he's the way that he is. Like maybe some of that divine DNA kind of got mixed into the gene pool, right? But James wasn't always like this. If you, if you have your Bibles open, flip back to Luke chapter 4. Go backwards just a little bit still in the New Testament. Go backwards just a little bit. Luke chapter 4. Now while you're flipping to Luke chapter 4, let me give you a little bit of context. James wasn't always like this. James didn't always identify himself as a doulos, a servant, a bondservant of God and Jesus. In fact, kind of at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry in Luke 4, what we're going to read about here in just a second, Jesus, he gets baptized, he goes out into the wilderness, he spends 40 days in the wilderness, and then he comes back out of the wilderness ready to start his ministry. He's ready to start his public ministry. And Jesus goes to a place that you go, what better place to start your public ministry than your own hometown, right? Nazareth. So Jesus, he shows up at church on the Sabbath, right, to to kick things off. He shows up to kick things off. And here's the thing. Nazareth is a small town. Everybody knows everybody. Which means that Sunday, right, that that, that church day, right, Jesus, Jesus' whole family probably would have been there. And so Jesus steps up in front of his church, in front of his hometown, everybody he grew up with, everybody that knows him, aunts, uncles, cousins, all that kind of stuff, family, and he gives his first sermon. And you would think, like, a safe environment, right? Safe environment to give your first sermon in front of, like, your home church. Like, that's a home crowd, right? That, that, that's, that's, that's home court advantage. And here's what Jesus says. 
He says, listen, this Messiah, this, this Savior, this chosen one, that, that all of the Old Testament, like all of the old scripture that we read, every part of that points to and talks about this Messiah, this chosen one, this Savior that's coming to rescue all of humanity, the one that you've been looking for, the one you've been waiting on, you don't have to wait, you don't have to look any further, it's me, right? It's like the ultimate, I'm him, right, moment, right? This is, Jesus says, it's me. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one you've been waiting on. I'm the one that all of Scripture points to. I am, this is who I am. And at the end of his sermon, we're pretty safe in saying that it doesn't go well, right? It doesn't go well. After Jesus preaches his first sermon in his home church, here's what happens. If you've got your Bibles open, Luke 4, 28, here's what it says. When they, the people listening to Jesus, heard these, things, heard these things, all in the synagogue, all in the church, were filled with wrath. Filled with wrath. And they rose up, and they drove Jesus out of town, and they brought him, it says, to the brow of a hill. Nazareth's built up on top of a really tall hill. So they, they took him up to the, to the top of the hill on their town, where their town was built, so that they could throw him off a cliff. And Luke tells us, but passing through their midst, he went away. Jesus escaped. So Jesus' first sermon in front of his home church, his hometown, all of his friends, all of his family, the people he grew up with, they not only don't believe what Jesus says, they try to kill him. They try to throw him off a cliff. And here's what we know. Somewhere in that mix was Jesus' family, which included James, his younger half-brother. Now, here's what the Bible doesn't tell us that they participated in trying to throw Jesus off a cliff, but here's what we don't see. We don't see them trying to stop it from happening. Like Luke doesn't tell us they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff, and his family went, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. He's kind of crazy. Just leave him alone. We don't see that. So think about it like this. How many of us in here are the younger sibling? We have older siblings. Great. This is going to be great. Uh, but you're going to want to throw things at me here in a minute because I'm the oldest, which means I'm the best. Um, if, you have, if you have older siblings, odds are they probably grew up thinking that they were a big deal, right? Can I get an amen? Okay, thank you. I'm the oldest in my family, right? So I can confirm this. Older siblings, how many older siblings do we have in the room? We're the best, aren't we? Yeah, thank you, right? There we go. Older siblings, we think we're a big deal. We, we're pretty sure we're a big deal. And, and if you were a younger sibling, maybe your parents treated your big brother or your big sister different than you, right? Maybe it seemed like, maybe it seemed like your big brother or big sister, your older sister was their favorite, right? And so there was a little bit of like civ civil rivalry. You, had, you grew up, we see this in our family, right? This is in our family with our boys right now. Like there's a little bit of sibling rivalry. But here's the thing. Odds are your older brother or your older sister, like when I watch our boys, like Jack never says to Cash, even in all of his kind of self-righteous glory, he stops short of claiming to be the direct child of God that's come to rescue all of humanity from sin and death. Like there's a level, there's a line. We don't cross that one, Right? But can you imagine that? Can you imagine growing up and your big brother, that's who he says he is? Growing up with Jesus had to have been wild. I mean, as I thought about it, like, first off, Jesus probably never got grounded, right? 
Like, there's this moment in Jesus' childhood, kind of the last moment of, of, like, an adolescent Jesus that we get to see, where Mary and Joseph, his parents, you want to talk about parent fail, right? Mary and Joseph, his parents, take him down to Jerusalem, and on their way back from Jerusalem to their hometown in Nazareth, they realize they forgot him. Can you imagine that? Like, being the parents, like, where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought you had him. Right? Well, I thought you, can you imagine, like, the panic in that moment of, like, we left our son in Jerusalem, but he's not just our son, He's got, like, oh, my gosh. You know, it's like, so they go back They go back to look for him. And I don't know about you moms and dads, I don't, but, like, there have been moments where, like, our kids have wandered off. Um, they, they just do. Like, they try to escape. And when you, when you find them, like, when you get them again, like, there's this part of you that's relieved, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad I found you. But then there's also this part of you wants to grab them by the shoulders and go, what were you thinking? So when Mary and Joseph find Jesus, they find him in the temple. And they look at him and say, why did you, why'd you cause us so much anxiety? Why did you cause us so much pain? Why'd you? He's like, you didn't have to look for me. You didn't have to look that hard. You knew where I would be. I'd be in my father's house. What? And, then, and they go, okay, right? I mean, can you imagine? Like, he didn't get in trouble. He didn't get in trouble. He wandered away from his parents, and he didn't get in trouble. As they got older, like the rest of Jesus, like James and the rest of Jesus' brothers, most likely what they would have done, like most kids did in this day, was they followed in the footsteps of their father. Like, they, they took over the family business. So, so Joseph, right, he was a builder. He was a carpenter. And so James and Jesus' brothers probably would have followed in their father's footsteps, and, and they would have worked to kind of take over the family business and, and be builders and carpenters themselves. But not Jesus. That wasn't his career path. Jesus' career path was Savior of mankind, Lord of heaven and earth. And, like, you have to imagine, Matt and I were talking about this yesterday. You have to imagine, like, James and Jesus' brothers are, like, making a chair, and Jesus is like, yeah, I remember when I spoke and made that wood. Like, that's so cool. Like, that, that, that thing you're building over there, like, I remember, when, I remember when I spoke and that existed. Like, I remember when trees weren't really a thing, right? Like, can you imagine that? Like, growing up with Jesus, like, you can't compete with that. And so when people in their home church are filled with wrath about the things that Jesus says, you have to imagine James and the rest of Jesus' brothers were going, oh, yeah, trust us, we've heard this all before. And there's even a moment in Mark chapter 3 where, where Jesus is teaching, and they send message, like Jesus' brothers send message to him, going, listen, you got to get a hold of him, he's out of his mind. Like it says in Mark 3, that they try to seize him. Like his family tries to just like, come home, come home, we'll work through this, right? They try to seize him because they say he is out of his mind. Now there's a little bit more, right? Flip over to John chapter 7. You got your Bible open? Bible app, John chapter 7. Again, a little bit more context because we see kind of in this story in Luke, it's, it's really passive aggressive. It's like, they're going to try to throw him off a cliff. We're not really going to stop it. But in John, Jesus' brothers get a little more aggressive with their passive aggressiveness, right? Nazareth, like we said, Jesus' hometown, that's in Galilee, that's in the northern part of Israel. And there's a festival down in Judea, that's the southern part of Israel. That's where Jerusalem is, that's where the temple is, that's all in Judea. And that's kind of the home base. Judea is the home base for all of the religious leaders back in this day. And those people, the religious leaders, they're looking to kill Jesus. They're trying to hunt him down and kill him. And so Jesus' brothers, they basically say in John 7, hey, big bro, if you are who you say you are, why don't you go down to this festival and prove it in front of everybody instead of hiding out here? Like, if, if you are who you say you are, then what is there really to be afraid of? Which might also be why they didn't try to stop people from, in Nazareth from throwing him over a cliff. 
right? It's like, hey, listen, if he is who he says he is, he can stop this. I mean, if he really is God's son, he can stop this from happening. So they, they're kind of pushing him, like, hey, stop hiding out. If you really are who you say you are, go down and prove it. Here's what it says in John chapter 7, in verse 3. It says, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples, the people following you, right, can see the works that you're doing. They say, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. Like, you want people, Jesus, to know who you are. You want people, Jesus, to believe in you. Stop working in secret. Like, what you do and what you say, like, what, like why don't you go down there and prove it? It says, if you do these things, if you, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then John says this, for not even his brothers believed in him. James was one of those brothers. So we can easily assume, right, when we read scripture, when we open up the word, we can easily assume the people that we read in the Bible, like they're born with like superhuman faith. But the reality is this, they're just like us. James didn't have some superpower that allowed him to trust and follow and devote his life to Jesus more or better than anybody else. James, here's the deal, James was closer to Jesus than most, James knew Jesus better than most. James spent more time with Jesus than most people, right? And we just read, even though he knew Jesus better, spent more time with Jesus, grew up with Jesus, we read he didn't believe in him. In fact, he thought he was crazy. Yeah, that's my crazy big brother. James, like so many of us, he struggled with his faith. He struggled with really believing that Jesus was who he says he was. He struggled with trusting that Jesus could do all the things that he promised. My question is, have you ever been there? You ever been in that spot where it's like, listen, man, I'm wrestling with this today. I'm struggling with this today. This is, I'm having a hard time with this today. I know I have. Right? It's one of those things, I think a lot of times in church, what gets explained to us and what we're made to feel is like doubts and questions aren't allowed. Let me just say, Jesus was great with doubts and questions. Jesus let people bring doubts to him all the time. Jesus let people ask questions all the time. He's great with it. He actually is super patient with it, right? Jesus opens himself up to, ask me your questions. You got doubts? Let, let's talk about that. But somewhere along the line in the church, like wrestling with doubt or, or even saying like, you know what? I'm just, I'm, I'm wrestling in my faith right now. I'm struggling with belief right now. Like somewhere that's not allowed. And if it was allowed for somebody like James, Jesus' half-brother, to wrestle with faith, if Jesus was okay with people coming to him with their doubts and asking questions, then church, it's okay for us too. Because here's what happens. Something, something between these moments in Luke and Mark and John with, with James and his brothers, right, with Jesus' brothers, something happens between that moment and the moment that James starts to write this letter. And my guess is this. It was probably the resurrection, Right? Because they saw their brother get, get crucified. They watched him get crucified. They watched him die. They watched them put him into a tomb and roll a stone over it. And then three days later, he's back. I'm sure there's a moment of them going like, oh, everything he was saying is, like, this is who he is. Like, there was that, that, I'm just guessing. That was probably what tipped the scales for them. But this goes back to how James introduces himself. Right? We're going to circle all the way back to this. 
James introduces himself as a bondservant, a bondslave, a doulos of Jesus. And here's why it matters, right? My friend Patrick gave me this quote. He says this, that James is perhaps the strongest shred of evidence we have that Jesus really was God. After all, what would it take for your brother to convince you that he's God? So the fact that James is a believer... The fact that James is not just a believer or a follower, but a doulos, a bondservant. I devote my whole life to Jesus, to my big brother, my big half-brother. Like that, that's, that's pretty strong. Something about Jesus convinced his brother, hey, I am who I say I am. And so from this point forward, the only thing that James wants to be known for, the only, peop- the only way James wants to identify himself is as someone who has given his whole life to Jesus. You can keep your resume. I don't need to name drop. What do I do? I give my life to serve Jesus. Who am I? I'm someone who belongs to Jesus. That's all James wants people to know him as. I belong to Jesus, and I live my life to serve Jesus. I live my life to advance the cause and message of Jesus. I live my life to make Jesus a much bigger deal than myself. And so my first question to us, church, today is this. What do you want to be known for? Like, as you think about your life, if you're going to introduce yourself to someone, if you were going to have to write a letter, if you're going to send an email that you needed to convince someone to listen to you, you needed to to compel someone to pay attention to you, what would you put in that? Like, my name is so-and-so, and and here's what I do, and here's what I do, and this is how many years of expertise and experience I have in this field. Like, that would be your resume. Your resume is intended to convince someone to hire you, to listen to you, to follow you, to trust you. What would you want to be known for? Second loaded question. Would, would being follower, would, would, would identifying yourself as follower, believer, and servant of Jesus be enough? Or would you need more? Would that be enough? Would the way that James introduces himself be enough or would you need more? That's something for us to wrestle with. That's something for us to think about. Because I'll I'll be honest with you, I wrestled with this this week. Like, would I need more than that? Would I need more than just I'm a follower, I'm a believer, and I'm a servant of Jesus? And there's a part of me that goes, yeah, Brad, you need more than that. To convince people, like, you need more than that. See, here's the thing, though. The more I read this, James had credentials that nobody else had. Like, not even Jesus' disciples had some of the credentials that James had. Like, but he didn't care to. He didn't want to. He didn't need to drop all that. All he wanted to be known for was being a holy, devoted believer and follower of Jesus. And so the first challenge that we're going to get from James in this series comes from the first half of the first verse. Would being known as a believer, follower, and servant of Jesus be enough for us? Would that be enough for you? Would that be enough for this church? Is that enough or do you need more? Here's what we know about James. James went from being a passive aggressive skeptic that didn't believe that his half-brother really was who he says he was to willingly making a choice to devote his entire life to serving him, right? 
James is the same guy that sat back and watched people in their hometown try to throw Jesus off a cliff. The same guy that said, like, hey, big bro, if you really are who you say you are, then prove it. The same guy who was skeptical and doubted and struggled with his faith, right, that thought Jesus was crazy, became the leader of the first family, community, followers of Jesus. The very first church ever. James led that. The same guy, James, for whom faith doesn't come easy. We read about some of the things that he did in Acts, right? This book, Acts, which, I would, again, I would encourage you to read that. At some point, it covers 35 years of church history in just a handful of chapters, right? And in Acts 15, we see James at work as the leader of the church in Jerusalem. When all of the leaders of, of the church and the elders and the leadership and all the apostles, they're trying to figure out, like, what do they do with the Gentiles? Gentiles, we talked about this last week, they're the outsiders, they're people that were not Jewish. They were not from Israel. They were not Hebrew people. They were Gentiles, everybody else. If you're wondering who's a Gentile, we are. They're trying to figure out, what do we do with this? Like, what, like Jesus, like, it's very clear that Jesus wants to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Like, how do we handle this? Like, how do we do this? And I love this. Here's, what, here's something that, that James says. This, you want to see James's heart? Here's what he says in Acts 15. He says, it's my judgment, James says, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles, the outsiders, that are turning to God. You can see the shift in James's heart. As a former unbeliever, right, as a recovering skeptic, when James hears about people like you and I who are beginning to believe in and trust Jesus, his first move is to say, look, we can't make it difficult for them. We can't make it hard for them. We can't throw a bunch of religion and rules at them. We have to help them. We have to help them, walk with them, show them what it looks like to live the with God life. And here's what we learn. The cry of James' heart from this point forward is this. Jesus changes everything. And James wanted people to experience that just the, the same way that he did. And here's the thing. For James, this is so personal. It's deeply personal for him. And so... What James knows is that Jesus changed everything about him as a person. And what we're about to learn from James in this letter as we go forward is this. When Jesus changes everything in us, everything about us also changes. And so one of the reasons why I love the book of James is you can see his heart. James wanted to make it easier for people to step out of an old life and into a new one. James wanted to make it, he said, don't make it difficult for people who are even the outsiders, the disqualified, people that have been told their whole life they don't matter, people who, what, for whatever reason, they've been told that they're damaged goods or, or that they can never, like, let's, we can't do that. We can't make it difficult for them to step out of this old life and into this new life that Jesus makes possible. And so the book of James is just one verse after another of some really practical, like, hey, this is what it looks like. Let me help you. And I love it. It's coming from a guy who's like, listen, I wrestled with this. I struggled with this. I, it was hard for me to believe and imagine. But here's how, here's how we do this. And so the reason that we have to do all this setup today, right, the reason that it's critical for you and I to get to know a guy like James is because his story is like so many of our stories. Maybe for you, faith doesn't come easy. It's not easy all the time. Just go, yeah, I'm trusting in Jesus. Sometimes it's really hard. It is for me. Sometimes situations, life gets stormy, right? Life gets crazy. There's a lot of conflict, the things that you're having to navigate. And, and you, know what it's, you know what's easier to do sometimes is just try to fix it yourself instead of going, Jesus, I trust you. 
It's easier for me to go, Jesus, I got this. Like We'd rather just run our own lives and put Jesus in charge. And get this, we are the ones that James is writing to. Here's how he finishes verse 1. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to, he says, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. The 12 tribes, again, circle, highlight, underline that in your Bibles. And this time would have been another way of saying to all of the believers. To all of the believers. And so we've talked about this guy in Scripture named Paul that wrote a bunch of letters to churches and people in specific cities. So Paul would write to churches and communities, families like ours in specific cities to kind of help them work through some of the things that they're working through. Like, so when you think about Paul's writings, like when Paul introduces himself, you kind of think, like, I'm just going to put it in Kentucky terms. It's like this. Hey, y'all. That's kind of how Paul writes. It's like, hey, y'all. When James writes, he writes like this. Hey, all y'all, right? He's writing to everyone. He is writing a letter, not just to a specific place, not just to a specific people group, not just to a specific city. He's writing this to every believer and follower of Jesus. To all of those who belong to God, the believers and followers of Jesus, who are scattered among the nations, right? That right there should tell us there's conflict. Right? As a follower of Jesus, in this day, it wasn't easy. There was persecution that broke out in Jerusalem. It started in Jerusalem. Right? They, were, they were beginning to execute and kill Christians. They were, they were killing people that followed Jesus, or they were arresting them and throwing them in jail. Why? Because you follow Jesus. It wasn't easy. And so people, they're like, listen, we're getting out of Jerusalem. We're getting out of town. We're going back home. And so they scattered. They ran. But when they got back to their hometowns, they found that it wasn't easy to be a follower of Jesus. That's the people that James is writing to. People just like us, where no aspect of life right now is really easy. I was watching a movie the other day. I was watching Saving Private Ryan, which is one of my favorite movies. But there's a moment in the movie when some of the soldiers look at, at Tom Hanks' character, Captain Miller, and they say, like, we don't really feel good about this. And he looks at them and says, when did you feel good about anything? Like, when recently have you felt good about anything? Sometimes it's hard, and I'm not all doom and gloom, right? This isn't like emo sermon, right? But like, sometimes it is, it's hard. With everything going on in the world, it can be difficult. And it was difficult for the people back then that James is writing to. They're like us, because for them, believing in and following Jesus, what we're about to find out as we read more and more into this, there were wealthy people they kind of ran trade and, and controlled business in the world. And, and they, if they found out that you were a believer and follower of Jesus, they cut you off. They wouldn't do business with you anymore. They froze all your assets. It was hard to provide for your family. There were religious leaders and self-righteous people. They cut them off. Right? They, they faced death. There was a fear of death for saying that they believed in or followed Jesus. They weren't allowed to go to temple. Why? Because they weren't allowed to go to church. Why? Because they found out that I'm a follower of Jesus. They might kill me. And so the people back in this day were facing all kinds of pressure and all kinds of chaos. And the world made it really hard to follow Jesus. It was hard to, to have faith. It was hard to live the with God life. And for us today, we're lucky, right? We live in a country, we live in a society where we're allowed to talk about Jesus. We're allowed to have church on a Sunday morning and we don't have to fear somebody kicking in the door and coming in and and killing us because we're talking about Jesus, right? But here's what we do face, all kinds of distraction. We face all kinds of pressure. Every single day that says, listen, this Jesus, like don't follow this Jesus stuff, follow this. Like don't, don't let Jesus run your life, you run your life. 
we find, we find ourselves caught up in all of this, right? There's, there's this kind of casual approach. We're caught up in this mindset, this casual approach to, to faith, which is, you know, I showed up at church on Sunday, I checked some boxes, I got my get out of hell free card, I'm good. Like, there's something that convinces us that that's enough. Just do the minimum, just skate by. Live distracted, live in the chaos, live in the noise. So even though we don't face the same kinds of things that people back then did, we still face stuff. And I'll be honest with you, it's hard to live the with God life sometimes. Here's the cool thing. The book of James, the letter that he wrote, is 108 verses long. 50, nearly half of those verses, are commands. Direct commands. Almost half of the letter that James wrote are commands, direct commands to people like us from the heart of someone that we know gets us and gets it. Like, Jesus, like, like James isn't just pointing his finger at us and going, hey, Christians, try harder, do better. He says, man, me too. I know it's not easy. I've wrestled with this. I know that the struggle is real. I know that you're under pressure. I know that there's chaos. I know that it's hard to feel good about things right now. You're just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop and for something to go bad or go wrong. But for James, he continues to come back to this thing. Jesus changes everything. And we'll see this over and over and over again as we go forward in this, in this letter. Jesus changes everything. And for James, everything starts with you. For James, it's personal. Jesus changes everything, but it starts with us. And so I want to leave us with this, right? Just kind of this thought. When it comes to the, the chaos and the pressure and all those things that we face, the fact that living the with God life is difficult at times, who better to speak into the questions, doubts, and fears that surround our faith and what we believe in than someone who had the same questions, doubts, and fears that surrounded his faith and what he believed in? That's who we're going to listen to. Someone who would look at you and go, I get it. I know it's hard. Get it. I know it's not easy. I know, I know it's hard to wrap your mind around some of this stuff. Some of this stuff you can't even wrap your mind around. You just got to trust it. And who better to walk us through what it looks like to, to live the with God life that we talk about here at Adventure, this life with God, right, that Jesus makes possible. And it's not easy, right? Who better to help us to do that than somebody who pushed through all kinds of resistance, both in his own head and in his own heart and outside, right? And, and all James did was help other people do the same. We can't make it difficult. We have to make it easier for you to understand this and what this looks like. We have to help you. Who better, James says, right? Or who better than James to, to help us understand and walk through what it really means to give your life to Jesus? than someone who wrestled with and still ultimately chose to give their whole life to Jesus. So much so that that's how he chose to be identified. You wanna know who I am? I'm a servant. I live my life in obedience, loyalty, and humility to Jesus. That's what we're gonna go through for the next couple weeks. That's what we're gonna step into for the next few weeks. My question for you today, and what we're gonna pray and we're gonna worship here in a second, is this, what do you wanna be known for? Who do you want to be known as? Would believer, follower, and servant of Jesus be enough, or would you need more? Here's your homework. Read the book of James this week. Go through, open your Bibles, 
read the book of James. Highlight things, underline things. If you have questions about what certain things mean, write that out. We're going to go through this stuff together. Right? This is going to be just a big giant Bible study. It's going to be a lot of fun. And at the end, my hope is this, that not only we understand, like James, what he wants to teach us is, here's how you live the with God life. Here's what it looks like practically, even though it's difficult. Here's what it looks like to have faith. Here's what it looks like to live your life the same way that Jesus did, right? We'll know that, like we'll get some of that. But my, my hope is this, that we, when this series ends five weeks from now, that we walk out of here going, you know what? I've got this Bible and I know how to use it. I'm not afraid of it. I want to live connected to it. I want to read what it has to say. That's what this is about. It's about you and I learning how to live the with God life and how to stay connected to his truth and his word in the midst of chaos. But it starts with Jesus changes everything and everything starts with us. So it starts with this. What do you want to be known for? Who do you want to be known as? Servant, believer, follower of Jesus? Is that enough or do you need more? you want to talk today about what it means to, to, to say yes to Jesus, I would love to do that. If you need prayer this morning, I would love to pray for you. If you want to join our church, become a part of this movement, this family, I'd love to have you do that. I'm going to pray for us here in a second. I'll be down here if you need prayer or want to talk. Um, be here for that. So let's pray. Jesus, you're good and we love you. We are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful that you do, in fact, change everything. But everything for you, Jesus, isn't, isn't just something. It's, it's a whole bunch of somebodies. It's us. So, Jesus, we pray today that you would begin to change us. Same way that you changed James. Lord, for some of us, faith is hard. It's hard to wrap our brains around this. Pray today that you would begin to change us. The same way that you changed James, you would change us. Lord, that, that as we wrestle with who do we want to be known as and what do we want to be known for, Jesus, we pray that you would show us that you're enough. All we need is you. Father, I pray that as we go from here today that, that Bibles are taken, um, that this week Bibles are purchased, and that even, even though we might be nervous, we sit down at a kitchen table or a coffee shop or even our desk at work and we open this up and we start to read from your word and we read about James and what he has to say and how he wants to help us, how he wants to make this not difficult for us but, but more practical. Here's what it looks like. Father, I pray for those moments that your spirit would meet us in those places and the word would come alive in new ways, that we would see that this is the truth. This is the way, this is the life, and it's all about you. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. Jimmy, pray for